And today I'll be reading for you and also preaching for you from Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 19. Hear now, for this is the very word of God. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, and this is Peter, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what, he, what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed first and second, the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to, into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the other, to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judah and to just to Caesarea and spent time there. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for recording this account that you had Luke preserve this for us. We thank you for the joy that comes from this passage. We thank you for the laughter that comes from this passage. We thank you for the comfort that comes from the reminder of Christ's power over sin and death. Help us now, Father, to have our faith increased, our joy increased, and our comfort and trust increased in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
A few years ago, Jennifer and I received a message that her roommate's father had passed away. I believe it was a stroke or a heart attack or something of that nature. It was an unexpected death. And we went down to Georgia to um, be a part of this uh, funeral, to go to the, to the viewing and visitation and, and um, in the time of fellowship with that family. Martha was a blessed friend and still is a blessed friend of Jennifer. She had four particular friends in college, and she did not know what kind of roommate that she was going to get, and uh, they, were, they were really close and good friends and tremendous encouragers to each other in their walk in Jesus Christ. And so it was without question when we heard that we were going to make a way down and be a part of this funeral. And while we were at the, the visitation time, I remember being in the line, and it was a long line. This man was a revered man in that particular community and a um, good Christian man. And we uh, were standing there, and we're going in, and we're seeing people and meeting people and starting to have conversations with people. And then I... <laughs> Turn over to Jennifer and I said, I have to keep reminding myself that we are at a funeral. This place is really rocking. It's just full of laughter and full of joy. And it was kind of almost out of hand. It was like a party. And the encounters that we were having with people and the stories that we were hearing, and there was just so much joy. And that was a representation of that whole funeral. All the way through. I mean, there were tears and there were reminders of heartfelt moments, but it was a lot of fun being at that funeral. And it was probably, in my estimation, one of the funnest funerals I've ever been to in my life. And I thought about that funeral in light of this particular passage today because there is a hilarity in this particular passage. I heard a little bit of giggling when we get to Rhoda. There's funny stuff in this passage. And I think it's meant to be funny. I think it's meant to cause us to have laughter and to be one of these kind of stories that we remember. This was surely a story that people told over and over again. There are a lot of different things about this account that draws us in and causes us to smile. That particular funeral, the other thing that was a strong component that other than its laughter was that it was probably one of the most gospel-centered funerals I've ever been to. The conversations and the stories, the accounts from his son and from other relatives, they all focused on making sure that during this time together, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed because they knew that that's what this deceased man would want to have happen because his life was defined by the good news of Jesus Christ. There was reason to laugh. There's reason to laugh in this particular narrative because it is a very kind of odd thing that we would be drawn into laughter so quickly after hearing about the death of James, the brother of John. One of the closest apostles of Jesus Christ likely was beheaded by the sword. We know he died by the sword, but church tradition indicates that it was likely that he was beheaded. A gruesome and horrible death. And then within just a paragraph, here we are 
kind of almost ready to laugh. There is, and this is one of the things I want you to leave with today, point number one is that there is, in the gospel, a hilarity over death. Not a hilarity in death, but with the gospel, there is a hilarity over the death. Over death, We see in his word in the Psalms that God laughs at the derision of his enemies, that it's not going to suffice. The death is not going to overtake. It's not going to overcome his plans for his kingdom. He laughs at death when it comes to the plans of the wicked. But I also want you to come very much assured of the power that the gospel has over death. There's a hilarity over death, and there is a power over death. And we see this here very quickly. Peter surely was not in a very laughing mood at the moment in the beginning of this particular narrative. It says here in very clear ways that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers with two chains and at least two centuries of other guards watching him. And the plan was, as we saw in the previous passage, that the plan was that after Passover, Herod was going to bring out Peter to please their bloodthirsty hunger, and it would likely end in his death, just like James. And here we have Peter, where all odds are against him, where it seems like there is no hope. And Luke is making it clear that we have these particular details, that this was not going to be an easy escape. And there was not even really, in this context, probably escape in the mind of Peter. And I think that there's more detail that we need to slow down and go through to see maybe the mind of Peter. I've looked at this passage over and over again, and and I've been wanting to be careful not to read into it, but I think that the reason why that Luke gave us this intricate detail is to show us really the tone and the mood of what is going on here with, with Peter. He is sleeping, and maybe out of exhaustion. We don't know if he's at a place of just at such trusting in the Lord or, or what's really going on, but he's asleep. But we know that he is pretty much imminently about to meet his demise. And then it says, and behold, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Make sure to go back and read through the hymns that Jonathan has picked out for us this Sunday. They're matching this story so well. The angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And then this is funny. The angel strikes Peter in the side and says, get up quickly. Now, how many in here like to get up like that when you're asleep? <laughs> I told my kids, I said, you know, I, I, want to, I want to wake you up like the angels of the Lord. <laughs> You would tend to think that that would be singing and softness. So, get up! <laughs> and bam, right into the side. Now, I don't know if it was because of the level of the deep sleep. It doesn't give us commentary of what's going on there. But that's just funny. I mean, I've, I've looked at that Greek word to see, well, maybe it meant that it was kind of, maybe it was a nudge. 
Brothers and sisters, you go further in this chapter where it says that the angel of the Lord struck Herod and he died. It's the same Greek word. <laughs> and I don't think he nudged Herod to death. <laughs> it was striking. It was a hit. It was a blow to the side. Peter wakes up, obviously. There's not any question to that. And then the chains that he was bound by falls off of his hands. And here's where I want you to slow down and don't just think of this as just general dialogue by the angel. It says, The angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. What do you think Peter was thinking about when he was tied by those chains to those soldiers at this moment when he has seen James already as dead? Surely he knew that. What do you think was going on in Peter's mind at that moment? I kind of feel like he would have been just praying to be at peace with the situation. I don't know, because he's... Yeah, it doesn't seem like a very hopeful situation. And Luke's making that very clear. Let's look at that in John 21, when there is the restoration of Peter, with the time where Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And there is this clear parallel of the three times of asking them that after the three times of denying Jesus. And then after that, there is this prophetic promise to Peter. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, and this is in verse 18 of chapter 21 of the book of John. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Then verse 19 says, this he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter likely was considering that this was the time. I don't know how old Peter was. If he thinks, well, how old am I supposed to be when that happens? He says, when you are old, this is going to happen, and that things are going to happen where you will not be able to dress yourself, and you will not be able to go where you desire to go, and you will stretch out your hands in likely crucifixion, and you will die. We have no biblical account of how Peter died. We do have church tradition that says that he likely died by crucifixion in Rome later on in his life after making it to Rome. But here in this moment, not knowing those particular things that we know from the revelation of his word, Peter was probably considering those very words, as David said, Those very words that Jesus had told him. He knew that he was going to die. 
He's already seen that he has been used by tremendous ways in the beginning of the church. He's already seen wonderful things happen in the building of God's kingdom. He could at that moment say, I've been used and my, my part is done. And it is likely that I can't go anywhere right now. I am locked up. I can't do anything with these chains on. I can't dress myself. I can't go anywhere. This must be that time that Jesus had proclaimed. But look at these words that the angel says to him after striking him, maybe not just out of a slumber of sleep, but maybe a slumber of hopelessness. Not a hopelessness built upon a faithlessness, or faithlessness, yes. But to be actually thinking about Jesus' words and the reality of the calling of the gospel, maybe to wake him up and then he says, after the chains come off, he says, dress yourself and put on your sandals because you're about to go (laughs) somewhere. It's not that time. The time where Jesus said that you would not be able to dress yourself That's not the time. Dress yourself. That time where Jesus said you would not be able to go where you want to go, get on your sandals. You're about to go somewhere that he wants you to go. And then wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, I apologize ahead if you you think that I'm pushing this in there. I, I... These kind of details that Luke has given us. But if you recall in John 21, when he saw Jesus, he girded himself in the very same way. He girded himself because he was dressed for work. He ties his outer garment in a way so that he can swim to Jesus. And here the angel is saying, gird up that outer garment because you are about to be sent on the behalf of Jesus. Follow me. And it takes him out. And then you have this miraculous moment of the gate even opening up. I mean, the angel could have just opened the gate, but it just opened up by itself. Because it's cool. (laughs) It's cool to see the power of God's freedom of his people. The chains fell off. The gate opens up. And then... Peter is thinking all of this time, he's thinking he must be having another one of those visions like he did when he saw the, the food and, the, and all, the, all of the, the table set before him. He's been seeing amazing things. His mind is likely set very much on the kingdom of God, and he is very much likely thinking that his life was going to end for the kingdom of God. And then when he comes to himself, when he kind of, Woo, <laughs> what's going on? He finds himself in the middle of the street by himself, girded for action, sandals on his feet. And then he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where they are praying for him. That's how we left the last part of the story. They were praying for Peter. They were praying for Peter after finding out about James. This is a funny story. It's a very human story. We wonder, did it hurt when the angel struck him on the side? Like, why did the angel do that? It makes you wonder if the angel, when, when he was getting appointed by God, 
And he wonder if it's the same angel that struck Herod. Did, did he ask God, do I get to hit somebody? <laughs> but yeah, hit Peter, and then I want you to hit Herod. But just, uh, wake up Peter, but kill Herod. It would be a funny movie to watch. There's, it's hard not to look at this story and not see this joyful hilarity of what's going on. But it doesn't stop there. He says that when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. And in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Again, leaving us with this funny question. Why did she do that? Was she afraid? Was she just giddy? And and we can think of people. We can think of people that we know that might fit Rhoda. That just, they're kind of of funny in how they respond to things. Again, a very human and a very wonderful, funny story. Surely, they elbowed Rhoda about that for a long time. As Peter is standing there, and then Luke says that he continues to knock. And they're in there discussing what it could have been. First saying, Rhoda, you are out of your mind. The same phraseology that Peter, when it says that Peter came to himself, that he was kind of in a daze, they're saying that she was not herself. Is what it actually, the same wordage is used there, and they've just translated to say, you're out of your mind. You've left reality for a bit. Peter had thought that he had left reality for a bit and then sobers up to the reality that God had freed him and has now called him to continue on in the kingdom. It's a funny scene as they scramble around. And again, we have to be careful not to look negatively at this particular part. It's not like we have any reason to believe that Peter was in a place of faithless hopelessness and these people surely were not in a faithless hopelessness they were making conclusions that it may have been his angel which is not too far from some level of likelihood because an angel had just visited him it wasn't like they had come to a place where they did not believe in the power of god and the ability for an angel to be knocking at the door They just didn't think that it would be Peter. They were likely dwelling on the very thing that Peter was dwelling on, which is that it's likely his time to finish the race. And then finally, after a continued knocking, when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And then he comes in, and I'm assuming it was this motion. It says he motioned to his mouth. You don't know if it was like, (laughs) like what it was but it was some motion of quiet down and then there's an interesting phrase here it says tell these things to james and to the brothers now this could be confusing for us because we go well did he not know about james well this is not the same james this is not james the the brother of john this is james the brother of jesus also named James the Just, the one who wrote the book of James. 
And he was a very significant leader in the church. It's an interesting thing to have this included here and why he would point this out. Maybe it's just because James was in such a significant place in the leadership of the church. But I think there is also for us in here in the narrative a use for us to remember that even though Herod killed that James, God continues to use other Jameses in the furthering of the kingdom. Just as there is the continuation of the word Herod, even though Agrippa did not call himself Herod, Luke is showing us here is that there is going to always be, until glory, there will be an adversary that will be going after the church. But there are going to be a lot of Jameses that are going to continue in the service of the church. And now when the day came, there was no little disturbance. And that's exactly what it says there. It's like, that's how the Greek is. It's, it's, there wasn't any little disturbance. It was a big deal. What had just happened caused a major disturbance, not only to the church, but to particularly to Herod and the plans of the Jews. Here they're scrambling around trying to figure out what happened to Peter. Herod is looking for him. And then this particular scene ends in the very opposite way that it began. Those soldiers, those odds, those dark clouds, those chains are dead. Those soldiers are dead. Hopelessness is dead. Defeat is dead. And this is the very portrayal of the gospel. It's reminiscent of the very account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole narrative from even the timing of it occurring during Passover and the whole presentation with Herod and how it's all being set forth before the bloodthirsty Jews Their plans are dead. The plans of Satan are dead. The plans of sin and death are dead. Those chains are representative of our own chains in captivity, not to just the enemy of God, but the chains of sin and death. This narrative is to encourage you. There is a hilarity of the circumstance of the laughter over the defeat of death. And there is a reminder of the power that God has over death. We are not to laugh at death. We will, in the next passage, when I continue on with the story of the death of Herod, that same power that the angel had that was bestowed upon him to awaken and raise up and to bring freedom To Peter, that same power that God has that he granted the angel will be the judgment upon Herod. Further in the passage. Brothers and sisters, this is a good news story. It's a funny story, and it is also an admonition to us. When we pray, do we pray in the thoughts of the word of the Lord? These I believe, were very faithful members of the church. They were still praying, even though they may have been very much assuming that 
it was Peter's end. They were so much probably thinking about the words of Christ given to Peter that they knew it just could not be Peter standing at the door. The very answer to their prayers was beyond even their expectations that it was hard for them to believe. The first question would be, do we even pray thinking about God's words? Are we praying with a hopefulness and an expectation of the reality that there will be suffering in the furthering of the kingdom? That there will be separation? That there will be pain? that we will have to endure. Are our prayers more so that we will just have a good day and that we will have whatever it is that we want to continue to build our small and temporary kingdoms? But then even if it is based upon his word, this passage is to remind us that yes, There is difficulty and death in the pursuit of the gospel, but the Lord wants to lift you up and encourage you that the very power and the reality of what occurred here in Peter is foremost the power that God has over sin and death and the power that he has to further his kingdom in you. Again, these are foundation stories for the church. They're not necessarily parallels of exactly what's going to happen to us. You know, if we get in prison for some reason or that, we don't necessarily need to just assume that that's going to be a continuation of the extraordinary approach. But it is the extraordinary power that will be at play and has been from generation to generation. Every time you hear the bad news that's on the news today, if you dig far enough, you'll find some story about some church or some Christian where the gospel is going further. If you take the time to look around at what is going on, even in this congregation and around, you will see that people are coming to a greater knowledge. Of Jesus Christ. Are you praying with that level of expectation that He is going to use you? That whatever adversaries you may face, whatever Herods that are in your life, are no match or comparison for the multitude of Jameses that are out there. You know, as I was thinking about that funeral story. And I was thinking, I think I'll use that story. That's a good story. It kind of goes well with this particular sermon. You know what the guy's name was that died? His name was James. A James who had taught his family and loved his wife faithfully by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The word and spirit that equipped and enlivened Jennifer's roommate, Martha, that brought forth encouragement in the faith and the furthering of her faithful walk in Jesus Christ. And she, too, married a man named James who is teaching their children to hold tightly to Jesus Christ and is is furthering the kingdom of God. There are a lot of Jameses out there. There are a lot of Jameses in here. There's a wife of a James in here. 
God is doing His work now just like He did then. And I believe there is this reminder of us that Herod won't be able to kill all the Jameses of the world. He won't be able to kill Jesus Christ being flowing through by the Holy Spirit of the church. It will not happen. There will not be a defeat. When we come to this table, we come to a table that reminds us of death. It is to be purposeful that we are not only reminded, but also proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ by the bread and by the cup. But it is a celebration to know that as we partake of Jesus Christ, we live. As we hold on to Him, we live. And He furthers. And this table that He gave before He died, He also continues to share with His people resurrection after resurrection, the furthering of the kingdom after the furthering of the kingdom. And here we are this day, remembering that death somberly, remembering death. We are not laughing over the death of Jesus Christ. We're not laughing at the death of Jesus Christ. But we are laughing at the death of sin and death that Jesus Christ brought. Glory, hallelujah. Let us pray. Our Heavenly